Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land... Oh, sorry, on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plant-bearing seed, according to their kind, and tree-bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God said that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Again, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to the other two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, so I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For, who, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are in a sermon series called Beginnings. We're revisiting a series that we did in 2017. Uh, what, uh, what started this was a book that a friend wrote, a guy named Steve Weens, who's come out to our church and helped us with certain things. Uh, he wrote a book called Beginnings. And I uh, thought, what a great way to spend the beginning of our year and it was so deeply meaningful for us three years ago that we thought, let's revisit it in a different way, coming at it in a different point of view. And uh, so on day one, the, the first day of creation, we look at each of these days thematically, thinking about how we can partner with God to create new beginnings in our life. And on day one, what we see is that light breaks in into the darkness through the power of God's word, illuminating well, where there is once chaos and there's formlessness, that uh, through the power of God's word, there can be light. On day two, we found out last week 
that this is a day where God begins to take which was formless and begins to stretch them out and expand this to create uh, different, uh, to make it an expanse where there's uh, water above and water below. And what we considered last week was how for us to experience new beginnings in our life, oftentimes we will be stretched. We will be made uncomfortable. We will be sifted. And it's after we have uh, experienced this light that's unexpected, after we've been stretched, then we come to this third day of creation. And as we just read, this is in Genesis 1, 11 through 13, uh, we read about how God now is producing vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the ground, uh, on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plant-bearing seed, according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. God called it good. There was uh, uh, evening and there was morning the third day. So what, this is a question for us. What jumps out to you, a word or a phrase jumps out to you as you look at this passage? What's that? Seeds, okay. This... Over and over again, we find uh, the word seed. And I, for a second, I thought maybe my, 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 my video was frozen. You guys weren't moving. Um, seeds. This is a day where we find seeds and also plants of different kinds. So God in all of God's creation is making diversity in creation, but within it, creating seeds. Um, to help us with understanding this, if uh, people could go, the ushers can go ahead and stand up and pass out seeds. I want us just to stop and think about the magic that is seeds. How incredible. Everyone, every, everyone's gonna, going to get a, a pecan here, just so you know. Um, so I just want us to think of why seeds are so incredible. All right, so when you think about seeds, why are seeds so incredible? What, what makes them so Beautiful and unique. What's that? They're dormant. Yes. That's right. So it's just, there's like this power and this energy waiting to be released. Yeah. What else makes seeds so unique? Yeah, they, from something so small can grow something so huge. Yes. What else? That's it? Just those two unique things about seeds? They're dependent? dependent? What do you mean by that? They need water, water, sun, dirt, soil, yeah. Some of them taste good. That's right. Hold off on eating your pecan, by the way. Yes, they're so incredible. God's intent, even on this third day, was to create not only the fact that he would bring about life and vegetation, but even within that life would be the Ability to have a cycle of new life again. So within that seed is this incredible thing where it has enough DNA to be that towering tree uh, that will one day provide shade and shelter, life and sustenance for people. That's the miracle of seeds. Uh, What you're holding right now in your hand is a pecan tree, so to speak. And isn't that a miracle? That right there in your hand will be a towering tree, many stories tall. And in that will have the DNA for a seed-making process to be released again and again and again, all within that little shell. But the seed 
has to be handled appropriately. For there to be this further life, the seed has to be planted, it has to be released and cared for, nurtured. It won't become a towering tree on your dashboard or in your bathroom. It has to be planted, it has to be released. And on this third day, what we're considering is this. What if God has given you the seeds of new beginnings in your life right now? On the third day, we remember that there's life embedded within you. There's life embedded in this new year, this new day. And out of the goodness of God, there are deposits that God has entrusted in you through your unique experience. Seeds have been given to you within your personhood, your makeup. And today what we're going to talk about is with these seeds, I'm talking about the dreams the skills, the ability, these, the passions that God has given you, that God has uniquely given you, the dreams, the abilities, and passions that are tied up to your experience, tied up to your personhood. As you remember on the third day, God did not create one thing, but much vegetation of all these different kinds, and within that all gave them all seeds of new beginnings. So after the light broke into the darkness, and after the expanse, have been created so that there is space, there is sifting happening on that uh, second day. On the third day, we're left with seeds of opportunity. And so a huge question for us is, on this day, what are the seeds within you? What are the dreams that you have? What are the longings that God has put within your soul, within your heart, your mind? And furthermore, probably more importantly, what are you doing with them? These seeds might be as small as picking up painting like you used to do when you were a child. That hobby that you've just kind of been sitting on for a while. Or maybe it's a seed of taking your aging father to the Grand Tetons like you all have talked about for years and years. That opportunity. Or maybe it could be just this longing to be a family, that, you know, your home to be a family where you guys pray together. Or maybe it's maybe more... It's a seed of this longing to be more public with your faith, be more verbal with talking to people about what Jesus has meant to you. These seeds could be, seem small, but they have such great significance. Or they could be much larger, much weightier. Perhaps you found yourself on a career track, and it's numbed you from the sense of calling that you've had, the sense of longing to take certain gifts and passions and see them used in this world. Maybe it's the fact that you have such a compassion for adoption and you've sat on it, or fostering and you've sat on it. Or maybe God's given you another type of compassion to serve and care for people and it just seems too risky to, to live into. Maybe it's a complicated relationship and you have had this longing for restoration but you've learned to kind of just believe it's impossible. We have on this third day, we are left with seeds that God has given us, and these seeds have great potential if they are handled well. So that's why we considered uh, in our second reading this morning a parable that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 25. And this parable, I believe, gives us such insight of the potential that we have to uh, be people who live out new beginnings in our life. Just an overview, we just heard it, but just an overview of, this, of the parable that Jesus uh, shared. It's a story about three, three different servants, 
and a master who was going away on a journey. While he was gone, he didn't want his resources, these bags of gold, to be sitting idly. Instead, he wanted them to be used well. So he entrusted these money, this money to three different servants, entrusting them with uh, one servant who was given five bags, another two, another one bag. And two of the servants put the money to work, doubling the amount, while the one servant who had one bag, uh, he hid it. He went, we went, he went away and, and he hid it. And so the master returns and with the one that was given five, he received five more, equaling ten. The one with two made two more. And the one that had just the one bag and buried it, he went back and got it for the master. In the parable, um, like all parables, parables are not uh, completely an allegory of who God is and all these. We don't have to decipher what every element means. Parables usually are trying to teach us one simple concept. One simple concept. And when you think about this lesson, what is the main lesson of this story? Maybe you could even encapsulate it with a simple word or a phrase. What do you think this parable is about? Sharing what's, what God's given you? God's gifts? What else? Not squandering what God's given you? Anybody else? Stewardship. That's another. We love stewardship, right? Unfortunately, when we think about stewardship, we just think about giving away money, which kind of closes us up, right? Many, maybe many of you experience that's what you feel like church is most about. Can you just give us your money? But stewardship is so much more than that. It's, that's too thin of an idea of stewardship. Stewardship is exactly what, what we've, just, we've just heard, those three different ideas, concepts is for us to consider what God has entrusted us. And that's so much more than money. God's entrusted us with many things. God's entrusted us with gifts, abilities, relationships. God's entrusted us with time, dreams, passions, opportunities. And this parable is teaching us that stewardship truly matters to God. The context in which Jesus told this parable is he wanted to talk about what his kingdom was like. This is what my kingdom is like. And he goes on to tell this story about three different servants who were entrusted, and two of them, they've risked much, and one hid it all. So let us go into the psyche of the individual who hid it all. In verse uh, 24, it says this, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So why did the man, why did the servant hide what was entrusted to him? Well, two, two different possibilities. One is that he knew this master was a, had a high standard. He expected much for where he has given much. And so he, was, uh, he knew that was to be the, the case, to harvest beyond where he scattered. So that's one, 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 one reason. But the second reason why he hid it, maybe more importantly, was in verse 25. He hid because he was afraid. He was struck with fear, and so he hid it. This is what happens when we're afraid. We have a tendency to hide. What was he afraid of? Well, he's afraid of the master, the master's judgment, right? We're afraid of the what if. The what if usually holds us back. 
but he was also afraid of losing that which was given to him. He was afraid of losing it, hoping that maybe when he returns, it would just maybe just disappear. So he wanted to make sure that he could give back what he was given. And he was struck with fear. Fear is incredibly powerful in our life. It's so very powerful. As we discover now with brain imaging, I find this kind of stuff so interesting. I'm not an expert, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to talk like one just to Im, Im, impress you. Um, but what we discover now with brain imaging is that when people are afraid, the, the, the right side is what happens when people are afraid. What people are afraid is all of the energy goes to the amygdala, which is that core part of your brain. Some people call it the lizard brain. <laughs> Because it's the most elementary, primitive, simple part of your brain functions. In this particular area, we continue to find out, this area is responsible, is activated when we experience fear, anger, and we feel like we have to have self-preservation. All of the energy goes to that certain part of our brain. So when someone is struck in fright, all of the attention goes there to preserve the self. And what, re what researchers can tell us now is that there's some people who have a tendency to camp out there. <laughs> there's some people who have a tendency to live in that area. And the problem with that is this. When you begin to embrace fear, it is like a Velcro. It's really hard to shake. What they find is joy is much like cellophane. It's just slippery. But fear is sticky. It's hard to shake. And so when you live in that area, one of the greatest problems happens is that all of the other, uh, when the amygdala is activated, all the other parts of the brain function have a, have a tendency to shut down. So one cannot dream. Creativity is stifled. Hopeful imagination does not occur. All because everything else is sucked into fear. This is why fear is so powerful in our life. And so it causes me to ask the question, where is fear present in my life? Where is fear present in your life? I know for me, I have a tendency to slip in and out of fear. I've experienced a new type of fear recently. I, when I can't find anything and I ask Jen where something is, she'll typically ask me, well, did you look at the place where it always is, right? And of course I did. And then Jen will get up. And where does she go? to the place where it always is, right? Immediately, I, I'm struck with fear that she's going to find it within three seconds, which usually is uh, was what happens. And she will just move maybe just one thing out of the fridge, grab that, and just look at me with that condemning look of judgment. Here it is. She started this one refrain. She, when I ask where something is, she'll immediately say, did you look longer than 20 seconds and move three things? <laughs> Answer is usually no. But I get so afraid when she actually gets up and goes there. Um, uh, and I, sometimes I find myself doing with the servant, uh, hiding, hiding, right? Um, fear is a part of our lives, big and small. And I've been thinking about the power of fear in our life and how it shuts down such the imaginative, hopeful, risk-taking parts of our personhood and our minds. Fears are common, much like the questions are, are we saving enough? How are our kids going to go to college? How will we retire? Fear like, will I find a companion? Fear like, um, I'm tired of disappointing people. Will this choice do that more and more? 
fear of raising kids in a certain day and age, in a certain time. Somehow we can uh, prolong our kids in a certain innocence as long as possible. Fear is powerful. It's a part of our life. This servant was driven out of fear, and, and it moved him. It moved him to hide which wasn't entrusted to him. This typically is our response towards fear. It causes us to hide the seeds that God has given us. We know why the servant buried the, the gifts, the bag of gold. Because if you hide it, you know where it is. You don't have to fully release it. You don't have to give it to other people and say, all right, you invest it. You take care of it. Instead, in the middle of the night, you can quietly go dig a hole, hope that no one sees you, and leave it there. But I think this parable is trying to teach us something else. And it's this. If you hide what you've been entrusted, if you hide it, you've already lost it. It's already been lost. You will always lose it. The servant's greatest fear in the end comes true. This is the power of fear. Because the master took the, the one bag of gold and gave it to the one who now had ten. It's almost that fear has this predictive quality, this predictive power in our life. The alternative in this parable is to live like the other two servants who they had the treasure that was given to them and they invested it. And what is, what is inherent with every investment? Risk. We don't have to wonder about that. Thank you. That was like uh, everyone at once. We know that investing is risky. It takes risk. And this parable is teaching us about the kingdom of God, remember? To take what you have been given and invest it involves the possibility of failure of exposure, and the great unknown. And this parable is teaching us how Jesus' kingdom will work. It's teaching us that the kingdom of God opens up to the risk takers. Those who are courageously following Jesus, who are willing to go out on a limb and take risks. Perhaps this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 16, 24. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, they will find it. Uh, saving your life, protecting it, ensuring that there's no risk in your life, this, this seems to be saying that you will lose it. But for those who are willing to create, courageously release it in this world, they will find it. The seeds that we have been given contain the potential for future life within them, but they're not actualized until we courageously release them into this world. A seed is just a seed until it's been buried, until it's been released and watered and nurtured. Many of us, many of us stop short of giving away the seeds that God has entrusted us. Many of us fall short of doing that because of fear. I'm not saying that every risk is God-ordained. I think wisdom and discernment and seeking counsel, that's a part of this discussion. But if you have discerned that God has truly entrusted something to you, a seed, you should be filled with courage for this is the kingdom of God. On this third day of beginnings, we're provoked by a question. What are the seeds that God has entrusted to you? As you feel that seed in your hand, that pecan, what are the passions God's given you? What's a dream that God's given you? What are the unique abilities that you have that maybe haven't seen the light of day? This parable is a stern warning. We are living in either situation of the first two servants or the third. The ones who are willing to take a risk and the ones who are hiding, who play it safe. It's interesting, when I ask people, 
What do you hope to hear uh, when you go from this side of life to the next? What do you hope to hear from your Savior? Guess what words people most often say. Well done, good and faithful servant. That line comes from this parable. Within this parable, that's a line that we long to hear from God. And this parable is what is teaching it. It's in verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. Share in your master's happiness. This parable is teaching, do you want to live in God's delight? Do you want to experience his happiness? Do you want to be a dreamer and a risk taker for Jesus? That's what this comes down to. Who lives out their dreams big and small. Who knows to, do, to, to live faithfully with that which you've been entrusted. And it seems like in this parable, he who has will be given more. Of course, God would continue to, to give the good steward more. More dreams because they follow them. More passions because they are using them. More divine encounters because they are aware of them and they're putting them to work. But unfortunately, notice what the master says to the other servant. Since we've already heard it read in the NIV, I want to just read it from the Eugene Peterson's transcribed version in the message of what master says to the third servant. Verse 26. The master was furious. That is a terrible way to live. It is criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew that I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. But take that thousand, that one bag, and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of that play it safe, who won't go out on a limb, Throw them out into utter darkness. Such harsh words. But I think those harsh words are just trying to wake us up. They're trying to give us a warning that would wake us up. This is the warning. For those who are imprisoned to fear, whose life is changed to taking the smallest risk possible, the story ends with weeping and gnashing of teeth, being sent out into the darkness. An interesting If you remember back on day one, what existed before God broke in with light? That word tohu vavohu, utter darkness, chaos, formlessness. And it's like the servants being sent back there, waiting for the light to break in again. Bonnie Ware, she's a nurse who uh, works with people in their last days of their life. And she uh, wrote a memoir. She wrote, uh, first it was just a blog that she wrote called uh, The Five Regrets of the Dying from her experience, she wrote this as she would just sit with people in, the, in their last moments of their, of their life. And what she found is there's uh, five regrets that people would share. And the, the f- first and foremost regret that people had was this. I wish I would have lived with greater courage. The most common regret as people as they were ending their life was I wish I had more courage to be my true self to risk more, to be more bold in who I was, who God called me to be. That was the most common regret. That, for me, sounds like weeping and gnashing of teeth for people uh, that they didn't honor the dreams that God gave them. They knew that to follow their dream would take an abundant amount of determination, potentially some heartache, a long road. But they knew at the end of their life it would have been worth it. 
Most of us choose the easier way. Our default compass is to not take risks, to, to choose our way of comfort and ease. And in doing so, we bury our, the God-given treasure. But in my 14 years as being a pastor, I've been with people in the last moments of their life. I've never heard someone say to me, I wish I would have played it more safe. Usually, usually it's the deep sadness of feeling like the sun is setting on their time and they have more to give this world. But I have hope. I have hope because here we are. Here we are in a new beginning. Here we are with seeds in our hands of great potential. And God wants to show us the way of courage. God wants to show us the way of faith and trust. And one of the ways we see that is through Jesus. Jesus took the ultimate risk. And he showed us how to be the wise servant. Jesus lived the courageous life of trust in the Father. Jesus described the only food he needed, the only sustenance he needed in his life was to hear God's word and to obey it, regardless of what it would say, to risk his life for the sake of following his Father, learning to obey all the commands. And it was not easy for Jesus. He took risks. He went against the tide of popularity and he was faithful. He took risks. In the face of the, of, of the popular opinion, he went the other direction. He took risks. In the face of the powerful and the elite, he stood his ground and he took risks. He left his home and his family. He chose to live a life of a poor traveler. Ultimately, Jesus took the risk of seeing that the cross was ahead of him. And rather than, rather than stepping aside, he actually embraced the cross, believing that it would be enough enough to win freedom for you and I and for all of God's children, to break down the wall of hostility between us and God and us and everyone else, that Jesus thought that that risk would be worth it. And on the other side of the cross, when Jesus, after laying himself down, after believing that God would receive him and turn that one seed and to multiply that seeds into the hearts and lives of many from generation to generation, Guess what I, this is what I guess that Father said to Jesus on the other side of life. Well done, good and faithful servant. And with that one act, now we are found in Jesus. Now we in faith are welcomed into the master's happiness. It's not something that we deserve, but God has invited and welcomed us into the master's happiness and delight and I believe if we actually understand and we see Jesus' example and we receive that in our life, that act of salvation will set us free to be people of courage who are willing to take risks in our own life, to dream big. Why? You've already been accepted. You've already been loved. You've already been redeemed. So now be set free to be risk takers for God's kingdom. The opportunity for beginnings and newness are now in your hands. Seeds of opportunity. So I want to, you to keep that pecan for a while. I want you to don't crack it open and put it on your salad this afternoon. I want you to keep it for a while because I kind of want it to haunt you a little bit. I want it to haunt you that every morning when you see it, that it could remind you today counts. Live with trust, live with boldness, live with courage. Take that Christ-honoring risk because this third day reminds us that beginnings await you. Go out on a limb. Go out on a limb for Jesus and experience your maker's happiness.